Hi everyone and welcome to Chips and Channels. I am your host, Seth Singleton. It's a pleasure to be back with you after a notable hiatus. I've been recovering from my most recent knee surgery and it took a lot longer than I thought it would. But the idea that some time back I knew it would be great to get a show in 30 days before the World Cup, only to see that time diminish to three weeks, two weeks, one week, and now just days and hours away, I've somehow made it in front of the microphone with some great stories to share with you and without any further delay. Let's go ahead and talk more about the 2022 World Cup. So one of the things that's the most interesting as we draw even closer to the World Cup kickoff, the frenzy of the group stage, and so much more to be included with that, is the question of who will actually be appearing on each of the teams. There are always issues to be worked out with those who have professional club contracts and arrangements that must be navigated. But then there is also the factor that most of these players have been playing for quite some time now this season. They have uh, endured whatever the fatigue and strain of that season includes. And on top of it, there are the injuries. And for the United States men's national team, one of the biggest things to consider is just how many injuries continue to mount as we draw ever closer. It, it was something that had been a concern over the summer. Different players going down for different reasons, experiencing injuries, delays. Um, among them, Christian Pulisic, one of those players who does his best to get on the field as often as possible and yet was hampered for quite some time uh, at Chelsea because of recurring injuries. Others among them, Josh Sargent, they can be many. And now we have the most recent developments Starting out with Sergino Dest, he didn't play in Milan's Champions League group stage finale against FC Salzburg. He was playing for AC Milan. And the reason behind that is mentioned as being adductor fatigue. Now that was just on Wednesday, November 2nd. The club said that the decision was a precaution, which is always good to keep in mind. And it's been something to stay abreast of simply because Dest, who was loaned to Milan from Barcelona and has really only had two starts and six sub-appearances during the season, much is to be wondered, concerned, and questioned about what kind of recovery time is needed for that adductor fatigue to resolve itself, for the body to be healthy and hale enough to get back on the field? And then also, what does it mean for the time leading up to it? Should there be maybe a break built in right before he joins up with the U.S. men's national team or something similar, maybe leading up to it, a staggering of some kind that would allow him to stay match fit and yet also not put his body at risk of greater fatigue? But he's not alone. There, there are others. Um, so we've also got a goalkeeper, Matt Turner. He's been putting in his time with Arsenal, but he didn't make the squad when the Gunners Europa League group stage finale match against FC Zurich 
He hasn't played, actually, since October 20th, and that was against PSV Eindhoven, after he had experienced pain that was then diagnosed as a tight groin, and he's been limited to just four Europa League matches, as uh, number two goalkeeper, Aaron Ramsdale, has been filling in. And actually, the last chance that Turner might get for any playing time ahead of the World Cup is the Carabao Cup third round match against Brighton. That's going to be next Wednesday. And that's also the day that Greg Berhalter, U.S. men's national team coach, will be announcing his current expected 26-man World Cup roster. A lot of anticipation leading up to that day, but along with it are all the factors that might lead into who will be on that roster. Keep in mind, you have, uh, well, Celta Vigo, who recently announced that Luca De La Torre has a leg injury that will keep him sidelined for three weeks. That's, that's going to be important. Central defender Cameron Carter-Vickers he missed uh, Celtic's Champions League match at Real Madrid on Wednesday because of soreness after playing 90 minutes during a 3-0 Scottish Premier League win at Livingston. That was on an artificial turf surface. Interesting to see how that can play into what kind of recovery the soreness is. Forward Josh Sargent missed Norwich's match against uh, Queen's Park Rangers on Wednesday. Um, apparently he'd injured his calf against Burnley back on the 25th of October and then missed Saturday's match against Stoke. Now, it has been said by Norwich's manager, Dean Smith, that Sargent could return for an upcoming game on Saturday at Rotherham. Hopefully I get this edited and published before then so we can do a follow-up on that. Then we've got Weston McKinney. He injured a thigh Saturday during a uh, Juventus 1-0 win at, ooh, I'm one of those names I'm just going to mispronounce even though I know the correct way. This is where your brain does it, at uh, Lesse, and is not expected to play for any other of the upcoming club matches until the World Cup. So that, that brings me back around to that question. Is that something that needs to be considered for Destin Turner? If you know you're talking about muscle fatigue, that is a concern enough to sit someone out. Does that need to be considered again later on? A couple of others to keep in mind. Chris Richards. He's a Crystal Palace defender who has not played since September 6th because of a thigh injury. And then we also have Miles Robinson of the Atlanta United. That's a defender who will miss the World Cup after he tore his uh, left Achilles way back on May 7th. So, how many others will actually make that 26-man squad that Burhalter will be announcing next week? Keep your fingers crossed, and we'll see if there are any injury updates. Until then, for now, the question is going to be, with those who do have injuries, how likely is their recovery, the prognosis of that, to their chances for playing, and how much of it will factor into Burhalter's decision to include them on the squad. We'll be checking back on that, and I'm looking forward to seeing what the update looks like. So that was me looking at the beginning of November, and it's now the 13th, and some things have transpired since then. To begin with, back on the 9th, Greg Berhalter went ahead and announced his full team roster. There were some big decisions made. There were some interesting choices. There has been a lot of reflection since 
about what these announcements mean and also some questions being raised about why some players were selected when they have not had a chance to prove themselves as often and why others who were instrumental in the team actually making it to the World Cup qualifying are not being included. So let's go ahead and move through those. It's a 26-player roster, and it's headlined by a number of players that have familiar names to those who have been following U.S. Men's National Team for any given amount of time. I mean, these are names that generally come up in conversation when it comes to U.S. soccer, whether it's Christian Pulisic, whether it's Weston McKinney, uh, whether it's Giovanni Reina, or Tyler Adams. They all made the move up, and the expectation, for the most part, was that they would be included among the roster. Now, Stefan had been locked into an interesting battle with Arsenal's Matt Turner, who I had mentioned in that previous clip, and who would have been a more compelling story had I had the chance and the time to follow up on it. However, it's an interesting choice now that Stefan has a loan move to borrow from Manchester City, and this was done for him to get more first-team minutes, which he largely achieved that goal, played in about 16 of the club's 20 matches, but that was not enough to make the roster with Turner, as well as Ethan Horvath and Sean Johnson. Now, Horvath has been playing with Luton Towns and Johnson playing with New York City FC's club. Burhalter said in some of the cases it's more about what we have than what we don't have. And with the three goalkeepers that he put on the roster, quote, we feel great. We feel really good about it. We saw a lot of progress with Matt Turner in this last six months. We know Ethan Horvath has been competing at a good level at Luton. Now, I picked this up from uh, just the simple ESPN feed. Jeff Carlisle, the U.S. soccer uh, correspondent for that organization providing the insights here goes on to mention a few interesting points, such as Miles Robinson and uh, Crystal Palace's Chris Richards, who both missed out, unfortunately. Just clearly wasn't in the cards for them. Miles Robinson suffering the unfortunate Achilles. Then we had Crystal Palace's Richards. He missed out because of a hamstring. And those factors have actually been part of the injury story building up to the World Cup. Meanwhile, McKinney and Turner and Josh Sargent, who had all been facing injuries, were able to heal up recently. And because of that, now find themselves as part of that 26-player roster. As I mentioned, there were other surprises. Among them, Fulham defender Tim Ream actually had a chance to catch a little bit of him against Manchester United, played at the forefront of that squad. And it was a lot of fun to see how well he matched up against a really polished squad like Manchester United, one who had been up and down. And the question was how much he would play into the deciding factors. Great game if you get a chance to catch it on replay. A lot of fun to see some of these players in their professional roles and think about what that means as they get ready for the international play. In fact, today being the 13th, this was the end of uh, Premier League competition because of the upcoming World Cup, and that because of that, they won't be starting back up again until Boxing Day, i.e. the day after Christmas. Now, some other things that 
caught people's attention were the inclusion of players like Haji Wright. That choice removes Ricardo Pepe from the striker position, coming, as uh, Carlisle points out, as something of a surprise. A bit unexpected. Pepe is a name that has been always sort of part of the conversation when it comes to that 26-man roster. Now, clearly, that has been changed, and we'll have to see what the results of that decision are. Pepe has been playing for, uh, again, FC, while Wright has been over at Antaliaspor. Both of the players have been in excellent form. Wright scoring nine goals on the season, four in the past four games. Meanwhile, Pepe had five goals and two assists since moving to that Dutch side squad back on a loan in September. And yet, the choice for Wright to line up alongside Jesus Ferreira, you know, it's one that's interesting because Berhalter goes on to say, in the case of, Cabrera, of Ricardo, that it was a really difficult conversation. It's always difficult when a guy helps you get to the World Cup. He scores three goals in World Cup qualifying and isn't going to be a part of the program. And again, it's more about who we did add that we felt good about. He goes on to talk about Josh Sargent competing in the championship, playing in the Premier League last year. And because... U.S. is playing against Wales and England. Both teams are stocked with players from those leagues. Having a player who can just have that extra awareness and understanding of what that might mean for those players that they're matching up against, their styles, and however else he can provide that additional insight. Strategically, interesting choice. Curious if you have any thoughts or feedback on that. Another player who is mentioned by Carlisle as being a surprise, I would rather know if it was one for you. For me, Shaq Moore has been definitely someone as described by Carlisle as someone on the outside looking in, someone who uh, name had come up once or twice, but I'd never felt it was something that was concrete, always more of those, I wonder what it would mean if that player breaks through. And clearly, that ended up happening now. The reasoning behind it that's being offered by Carlisle, the idea that Sergino Dest is dealing with an adductor issue and that Berhalter chose for the additional cover at right back by selecting more over Reggie Cannon, who's over at Boa Vista. Interestingly, this 26-player roster will be the second youngest at a World Cup with an average age of 25 years and 175 days. I always wonder about the stat guy who's got to come up with that number. Only the 1990 squad, which was 24 years and 24 days, was younger. Now, after the U.S. had failed to qualify in the 2018 World Cup, many players since then are no longer part of the squad. The only one who is sticking around is DeAndre Yedlin, who is the only player with previous experience being part of the run to the round of 16 in 2014. And then we've got the schedule to look at. The U.S. will take on Wales, and then will face England on the 26th, and Iran on the 29th. That will all be part of the Group B play. You can probably just do USMNT roster selection or roster, 26-man roster, maybe even just World Cup roster USMNT. And you can find many other names who I think will be interesting choices to consider. Many of them are very familiar. A few others that I didn't recognize as being 
players that I had seen on the team in recent qualifying matches. But I also think that overall, this could be an interesting example of what the long vision is for someone like Greg Berhalter, what it means for him to be paying attention to these players and knowing that when you have injuries, of which there have been very many, what it means to bring in new talent at a critical time. And also, I'm curious about this factor because I feel like others might be considering it. What does it mean to bring in a new player who has not really been seen by your international squads? Someone who has not appeared in any of your qualifying games or many of them. And so because of that, bring an air of mystery. They haven't been as researched or analyzed. And because of that, you might have the element of surprise. Always a strategic advantage when applied. I guess there's a word that makes better sense than the one that I'm trying to come up with, because otherwise it probably would have shown up by now. But when you think about strategic choices, the element of surprise, how is it that that mystery can create a moment? Whether it's one that sets one team on its heels or that causes every other team out there to reevaluate who you are and what they have to contend with. I feel that's going to be an interesting factor. I am hopeful that all of these choices will lead us to say, wow, these were genius. Of course, somebody with the understanding and experience and thought and all of these other factors that go into choosing the team made the right call. And yet, you know that there are already those who are willing to say that these are the wrong choices before they even hit the field. I believe you never know what a team is capable of until the whistle blows and you never know how a game's going to end until the final whistle blows. So with that, I am I'm excited. And I think the best part is I like the idea of mystery and intrigue. There's there's plenty to expect, but there's not as much to anticipate. And because of that, I, I'm excited at the idea that this will only add to the apprehension and the thrill of watching these games. Now, one of the things that caught my interest was just a few days before Burhalter's decision, Fox Sports turned to their soccer analyst and former U.S. men's national team defender, Alexi Lalas, also a former member of U.S. soccer in a number of capacities, including as president, they asked him how would he make this selection. And they posed the question in such a way that Lawless chose to imagine himself in Berhalter's shoes, taking into consideration all the things that Berhalter has said in interviews that has been considered based on decisions he's made, players he's selected, um, choices during game time, and any other ephemera that could sort of inform that attempt. Lawless, in doing so, went ahead and made his choices, and again, attempting to put himself in the mind of Burhalter. So when it comes to goalkeepers, Burhalter ended up choosing Ethan Horvath, Sean Johnson, and Matt Turner. And Lawless had Turner and Johnson but he also had Zach Steffen, which is not one of the choices that Berhalter went with. And something that we mentioned earlier is fullbacks, Sergino Dest, DeAndre Yedlin, Anthony Robinson. And then for central defenders, Walker Zimmerman, Aaron Long, Chris Richards, Cameron Carter, Vickers. 
Now, when it comes to the actual choices made by Berhalter, many of them match up. Carter Vickers, Dest, Long. However, Shaq Moore is a name that was not included by Alexi Lawless, as mentioned before. Also, Tim Ream was not included by Lawless, as well as... Nope, Anthony Robinson was on there. Oh, Joe Scally is one. That was the one that was catching my attention as well. And I found intriguing. And I'm curious also if there were other celebrities, notables, podcasts you listened to where you heard predictions being made and they were contrary to what the final decision by Burhalter was. When it comes to who made the midfield cut, again, many of the similarities that you might expect. Very few actual major differences that I can see as I was cruising through the lists and comparing. But if you're interested in that sort of thing, I would go ahead and cruise on over and take a look. I think it it might be intriguing to discover just who it was who was being selected and why they were being selected and how even those who have been in the sport for as long as they have and probably have a strong understanding of not only who the U.S. men's national team is under the direction of Burhalter is, but how Burhalter's thinking has informed so much of his decisions, did not have 100% accurate selections, which is something that I would be curious to hear what your thoughts were. Were you surprised by the choices? Did you have similar choices as those of Lawless or other soccer analysts who had weighed in on what they believed this final decision would lead to. And now that it's all been said and done, are there any differences that maybe you miss? Maybe you look for, maybe you wonder about. I know for me, I'm curious to see how this team matches up with a couple of things. One, second youngest to field, as well as the idea of at what point do you make the hard choices, as mentioned before, leaving off a player who scored goals for you helped play a significant, if not substantial role in getting the team through qualifying, only to then say, well, maybe like a relay. That was a moment to hand off the baton. And how it's been mentioned, there were many injuries to consider and how that informed the decision-making process. So I'm going to go ahead and step away from the U.S. men's team roster selection at this point. But with the... uh, information we have so far. I think there's going to be some great potential down the road to look back and see just what maybe we couldn't recognize at the time that Burhalter had the long vision for. Now, interestingly enough, I have seen some other stories about what will be facing the U.S. men's national team. And clearly, there is much preparation needed because the time is getting closer and being ready. Well, <laughs> it's, a, it's a thing that we uh, all like to believe we can do. It's a thing we all like to say, but getting there in the time needed, it will be an interesting challenge. And I'm looking forward to talking more about that in just a moment. Now, a team that's given the U.S. quite a bit of a challenge recently has been the Canadian men's national team, who recently named their World Cup 26-man squad, and they have been contending with injuries as well. In fact, an interesting choice that 
comes as a bit of a surprise for some and for others seems like the most logical choice to make that Alfonso Davies, who is the, as, as even FIFA.com calls it, the undisputed star of the team, was selected, even though he's been sidelined with a recurring, if not ongoing, hamstring issue. Also making the team are a number of players who you might recognize, especially since they have given the U.S. some trouble. But while Davies was selected, Daniil Henry, Scott Kennedy, and Maxime Cropot are all going to miss out with injuries of their own. I mean, I know when it comes to a star player, certain things are different, (laughs) whether it's additional needs, additional support, sometimes additional treatment. I do remember a few years back when there was a special showcasing how much work Kobe Bryant puts into every pregame and lead up to and so basically before and after every game what he has to do to his body to make sure he can still compete at the level that he competes at and it was extensive it it was pretty phenomenal and i can imagine that for every team there are certain needs that will be provided for those players who can do as much as davies has already done for the canadian national team It was in 1986 when they failed to score a goal at Mexico, and that was their only previous appearance at a FIFA World Cup. However, they topped their qualification group, passing up both Mexico and USA with an impressive group of players known affectionately as Le Rouge, and they hope to make history when they will match up in their first game against Belgium, and that will be on November 23rd, and then they will go on to face both Croatia and Morocco. Number of notable names, probably the ones that will catch a great deal of interest will be those among the forwards, like Davies, as well as Junior Hollet, Sile Laurent, uh, Liam Miller, Ike Ugbo, Tejan Buchanan, Lucas Cavallini, Jonathan David. These are all players who have done some amazing things for clubs like Bayern Munich, Club Rouge, FC Basel, Vancouver Whitecaps. They have made a name for themselves not only on their uh, professional squads, but also as the men's team that, as pointed out, was able to top both the USA and Mexico and look to make quite the appearance on the World Cup stage. How will the decision to leave behind some injured players while keeping those like Davies factor into the team's overall success? I think it will be another one of those things to watch for, but I know it's one of those moments where it can oftentimes be felt in the present, like the witnessing of a watershed, that this will be something looked back on later, reviewed, question scrutinized, especially if the results are not as favorable as they were assumed, intended, desired. I'm looking forward to seeing how Canada does versus Belgium and then later against Croatia and Morocco. I am looking forward to what their progression is going to be like. Group play is always that frenzied chaos, but 
anytime I get the chance to cover a story on a team or any chance I get to talk about a story regarding a team, it sort of makes a, an additional asterisk in my, my brain and something that I will be keeping an eye on. I mean, granted, also they're, they're located on the same continent that I am, so maybe there is that factor that Canada to the north and Mexico to the south, when it's your neighbors, you're going to pay just a little bit closer attention. Who knows? But given what I've already uncovered just through this idea of what it means to have an injured player like Davies, how the drama can be intensified whenever a player takes the field and you know that they're pushing beyond what would normally be asked of them, it, it heightens the moment so much. So like all of those great times we've seen athletes rise to the occasion, overcome what should be insurmountable, and in the process, reaffirm their status as legends in our minds. Curious to see if that is something that might transpire or what else the story could become. As I was mentioning, the United States men's national team will be facing a number of challenges going into their World Cup group round. And among them will be Wales, led by Gareth Bale, who, as of today, Kellen Acosta, midfielder who has played for the Colorado Rapids and also been a featured fixture on the U.S. men's national team, was recently quoted in an ESPN article saying that he and the United States will need to get physical. However, the title of the article says that we need to kick Bale to stop him. Now, that kind of title will catch the attention. Bay click? Well, everyone's got their belief on, on exactly how far is too far when it comes to <laughs> when it comes to what a headline is designed to do. It was a dramatic header from the Welsh star that saved LAFC from an extra time defeat to the Philadelphia Union in the MLS Cup earlier this month. That sent that title game to penalties, which was eventually how LAFC was able to pick up the win. And according to this ESPN article, Acosta has been, in their own words, besieged with questions. So now the uh, U.S. set to face Bale and the Wales starting lineup. And Acosta says, quote, I feel like that's the question of the day, right? Special players make special plays, and he's a guy you definitely have to be worried about. Bale had faced some injuries, and that had limited a midseason move to the MLS, but that Acosta has built a strong rapport with Bale. They joke often about having to face each other in the World Cup. It's his understanding that has led Acosta to say physicality will be the key factor. In fact, he goes on to refer to Bale as a, quote, specimen in the eyes of the reporter taking that quote, saying that this makes clear a belief that this unique combination of skill and size makes Bale an intimidating weapon, despite the fact that he's nearing the end of his career. And Acosta says, you know, he's a guy that we have to keep eyes on. We've got to literally start kicking him around the field a little bit, make him feel us, limit his time and space. And then if the U.S. can't do that, Costa says, let him be comfortable and he can really hurt you. These are teammates who were celebrating together at LAFC. 
<laughs> and he said that he knew it was coming as soon as he saw the cross floating toward Bale. He was like, nope, he's going to dunk on him. And the emotions of that day are something that he still experiences. Costa goes on to describe how Gareth moves around the field, sees the game. And I think one of the things that's interesting is that Bale sees his group as being one of the most difficult in the World Cup, especially on paper. And he's sure that both teams are in a mindset that they can win the game. In fact, he goes on to say every team that's qualified is there for a reason. They've qualified on merit and every game's going to be difficult. We're prepared for that mentally, physically, and we'll be doing as much planning as we can for every team to give us the best chance of winning, which all sounds logical. But it does bring up an interesting point for me about the idea of what Costa, Costa is seeing as being the greatest threat. Now, the article suggests that Bale is nearing the end of his career. Yes, but that's actually when I feel players become their most dangerous. It was only in the latter part of his career that players like Michael Jordan were able to secure numerous titles that we were able to see some players really like rise to the occasion in in that later period of their career and also there is something increasingly dangerous about a gifted talented physical player who recognizes when their physicality is diminishing by whatever increments they can recognize and then to turn around and say, okay, how then do you use intellect to counterbalance that? And when I feel a veteran player is at their most dangerous is when they are able to utilize all of that experience and understanding and awareness and thinking in coordination with what their best use of their physical abilities are then it's like that person who Bruce Lee said has practiced a thousand kicks. They're the most dangerous. Not the person who's learned a thousand, but the person who does that thing over and over again. Because once they have sort of narrowed their scope and they're not going outside of that, well, they become very lethal because they have already dictated control. And as Acosta says, if they allow him to get comfortable, he can really hurt them by using that scope to impose his will on the game. And I definitely see that being a concern and an important awareness for the U.S. men's national team. Now, will they also have to get physical with their other opponents? Well, we'll see how successful they are against Bale and Wales. And then I'm sure everyone will have an opinion to share. Love to hear yours. And I guarantee... I'll be offering mine. So here's a fun idea that I get to categorize and maybe file away. Because the U.S. men's national team is not the only national team to have released their 26-man squad. Neither is Canada. In fact, England recently released theirs as well. And while I had considered including that as one of the teams that I wanted to review simply because I've had an opportunity to follow many of their players over in the English Premier League, I was recently contacted for a great opportunity to join Chat Footy and their podcast for their upcoming World Cup coverage. 
Now I plan to do my best to not let work get in the way as much as it did this summer and still provide my own content, my own thoughts and feedback on specific moments. But the chance to hang out with Chat Footy will give me an opportunity to engage in great conversations about things like the English men's national team, but also do so with those who've been following many of the players and the history of the squad for far longer than I have. And because of that, we'll have an opportunity to gain and gather even more. And I now have this opportunity to say, would you like to know more about the English men's national team or perspectives on the players or just another take on the World Cup? Well, come check out Chat Footy Podcast where you will find me hanging out with the entire crew. We've got a lot of games coming up, especially in the early group rounds. So I am quite certain that there will be a rotating cast and crew on each of the podcasts, depending on time of day, match, interest, work, life, balance, all those fun factors. So I'm looking forward to having that conversation. And if you're curious to hear my thoughts on that team, go ahead and follow them. I can say that they will be doing an initial podcast about that. I know they're recording very soon. So my best recommendation, go ahead and search for Chat Footy. You can find them on Twitter as Chat Footy. Uh, and across the internet, Apple Podcasts, all the big ones, and subscribe now so that you can have the chance to hear their insights. And also, if you would like to follow along as I get to venture over and hang out with a great crew from across the pond, talk all things World Cup, and gain yet another wonderful insight into this beautiful sport. Looking forward to seeing you there. If you've got questions you would like me to ask on your behalf, please send them my way. It would be a pleasure to share and participate in the experience of those answers. So I'm curious as we approach the World Cup, what your favorite kind of story is, not only before the World Cup, but during it. I'm thinking about this because I was watching one of the many World Cup shows that are on right now, whether it's the World Cup magazine talking about Qatar 2022 or the uh, World Cup review that's been showing all these great old World Cups and really reminding me of those wonderful moments that, that each one brought us. One that stuck with me, the amazing performance by Senegal at the 2002 World Cup this is the squad that beat France 1-0, went on to tie Denmark 1-1 despite having a player ejected, tied Uruguay 3-3, went on to defeat Sweden 2-1, and made it to the quarterfinals before falling 1-0 to Turkey. And their story of passion, the way I enjoyed the moments from the coach, the idea about his desire and his belief that they had accomplished a goal of becoming ambassadors of the sport for the country to introduce the world to Senegal as a soccer contender, as a World Cup title contender, as a team that had been really sort of left out of the conversation and had 
through hard work, through skill, through perseverance, had found a way to push their way into that conversation and then very quickly dominate it. I mean, it was their victory over France that was part of the equation that sent France home early. The team that had won the World Cup previous four years prior eliminated so quickly while this rising star Senegal was just masterful in their joy and exuberance and enthusiasm and their their complete and utter belief in themselves their belief and their desire to contend every match and to rise to the occasion if not rise above the occasions as they did so wonderfully and for such an amazing stretch those are the stories that catch me the most the ones where suddenly a team does something powerful and wonderful and in that moment they captivate your attention thinking right now of a player who's playing for Manchester United Ericsson and how it was that he suffered a shocking heart attack while on the field during the recent Euro Cup and how so many people were stunned and amazed and how his ability to come back afterwards and and be this amazing symbol of resilience to play for one of the highest level English Premier League teams, one of the most storied legacies in that of Manchester United, and to do so as a player who has excelled. It's, it's been phenomenal. So I, I feel that there are so often these stories that come out of each contest, each tournament, and that especially when it comes to the World Cup, the one that's only every four years, the one that seems to ignite excitement across the world. The stories that come out of each World Cup for me is, is really so much fun. And I'm looking forward to seeing who will be the big story, the big stories in Qatar 2022. I mean, already there have been some pretty magical moments leading up to the tournament and who it is that we will see emerge. I think there are so many great opportunities to discover. I'm reminded of <laughs> players who were ejected for biting other players. So many different controversies that would arise, travel conditions, conflicts between players, players and coaches. I feel that while all of those have the opportunity to be captivating, it's it's the ones where you find yourself, as I am now thinking of Senegal 20 years ago, and how it is that that's a story that still blows me away, makes me smile, gives me reason to share it with you now. Those are the stories I'm looking forward to, and if you have moments like that that you remember, or types of stories that you are excited about witnessing and experiencing and sharing, I'd love to hear all about them. I think it's one of the fun aspects of talking about the sport and one of the reasons why I am so very excited to be hanging out with the uh, folks over at Chat Footy simply because 
We have the ability to recall things on our own, but in a conversation where others are sharing their memories, what sticks out and is significant for them, we can be reminded and in that moment grateful for others who can help inform not only what we remember, but what we're able to enjoy together, to reminisce. And through that, this wonderful shared connection of a beautiful sport that touches us all and the reasons why it does and the reasons why we get so excited when we know the big moments are approaching and the game we love will take center stage across the world. Can't wait to hear your stories. I'd love for you to share them with me. And it's okay if you don't. I still have plenty of stories I plan on sharing with you. Please make sure that if that's something you need, you know how to follow along and make sure you don't miss out. Do all the things you need to do to make sure that happens for you. And I look forward to the chance to come back around soon and share more great soccer stories with you right here on Chips and Channels. Until next time, thanks for hanging out.